Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, our text will be verses 16 to 20. As you look to chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, these are not only important chapters just because of the things that Jesus is going to say to his disciples and announce to them, to, to relate to them before his departure, to encourage their hearts and to strengthen them. But there is much information that is given to us within these chapters about the Holy Spirit of God, which is vital to our understanding. We need to give our attention here to these passages, especially in view of the teaching that it gives us on the Holy Spirit of God directly from the lips of our Lord. There is so much that is misunderstood today about the Holy Spirit. Who is he? What does he do? What is his purpose? Uh, probably maybe one that we are familiar with actually two probably that we are very familiar with when it comes to ideas of the Holy Spirit that are very prevalent today. One is more within the charismatic area of, of Christianity is that the Holy Spirit is some kind of a force to plug into or some kind of a force to tap into. Then the other view is Really just the Holy Spirit coming to indwell believers. There's very general as far as what is said about him. He comes to indwell believers and he convicts sinners of sin in the sense of trying to woo them to Christ. You know, we, we hear that a lot. Uh, this person is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit or this person's under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dealing with this person. We hear that language a lot. But what does any of that mean? It's very general when it comes to the, ver the things that are said about the Holy Spirit of God. J.I. Packer says this, The average Christian is in a complete fog as to what work the Holy Spirit does. And that is a very strong indictment on the church. To know what it is that the Holy Spirit does, not only in the life of the believer, but His work in the world. You know, people talk of getting... More of the Spirit, as if He's a force to get plugged into, like, a, like an outlet of electricity or something. Oh, we hear that kind of a language. One theologian really said this in light of the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit within the church, that He's really the, the faceless person of the Trinity. He's the, really the anonymous person of the Trinity because we don't really have a clear grasp on who He is and what He does. If we speak of the Father, immediately things go to our mind about the Father, about His character, about His nature, the things that He specifically does. If we speak of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, immediately our minds are flooded in of things that are taught within the Scripture that are very clear and direct concerning the personal work of the Lord Jesus. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? And this is where we need to give our attention. Because there are some very important things that our Lord teaches us about the Holy Spirit of God. Some of these we'll be getting into today, others in the weeks to come. It is very needful for us to understand, first off, that He's not 
a force to be tapped into. He's a person. He's a person just like the Father is, just like the Son is. He has feelings, if you will. We can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit gives commands. He says in Acts 13, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work which I have for them to do. You know, there, there are traits here of, of personhood. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. He's not an active force. He's not some magical force. He's not some mysterious force. He's a person. As the same of the Father as the Father is and the same as the Son. And so as we speak of Him and as we, we study about Him, we need to understand that. That He is one of the persons within the Godhead. Who is equal with the Father, who is equal with the Son, and who has a significant place within the life of the Christian. His coming is being described to us here in John chapter 14 as Jesus is really consoling his disciples and encouraging their hearts because he's getting ready to depart. He speaks of one who is coming after him, who is going to really fulfill everything that he did, even to a greater extent in some ways. It is to their advantage, as he says in John chapter 16, that he goes because the Spirit will come. It is to our advantage, too, that Christ left this earth and sent the Holy Spirit as well. Rather than him continuing as he was beforehand in his physical form. You know, if we were to ask, if I was to ask you all, what would you rather prefer? Would you rather prefer Jesus to be here in, in, in bodily form as he was before, in the same way that he was before, or would you rather have the Holy Spirit? Well, a lot of times, perhaps what we think first off is, I'd rather have Jesus because I can see him. I can touch him. He's visible to my eyes. There's comfort there. There's comfort to know that you, he's right there. You can see him. But we don't think of him in the same way as far as the Holy Spirit. We don't think of the Holy Spirit in the same way, rather. To understand that the Holy Spirit is present just as much as Christ himself would be if he was physically here. And that it is to our advantage that Christ isn't here in his physical form, but that he's ascended and exalted to the Father. That the Holy Spirit would come in the fullness upon every believer. Something that wasn't experienced beforehand upon all believers did not happen until after the exaltation of Christ. There's a fullness of the Spirit that has come in light of Christ's exaltation, His departure, His exaltation. And we need to understand that it is a great advantage to us that Christ has completed His work, He's entered into heaven, and that He is, He and the Father both have sent the Holy Spirit of God in the fullness upon every believer. Jesus is expressing that to them. It is to their advantage that he goes. And it is to our advantage too that he left. That he fulfilled his work. We need to understand why. And for that, we come first off to this passage of scripture. So as we work our way through this, I pray indeed that we would give our attention here. And see the great benefit that the people of God have today. I mean, it would have been amazing, don't get me wrong, to look... To, to be there in those times in which Jesus performed such great miracles. 
That would have been wonderful to have seen, but you need to understand, too, what great benefit that you have, perhaps even greater than what they did then. So let's look at this passage together in John chapter 14. If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Verses 16 to 20. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. And let us give our attention to the Word of God. Verse 16. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in, the fa- in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Father, we come this morning to praise your holy name. To grow in our relationship to you, to see you in all your majesty and glory. That we would grow in our sanctification. Grow in our relationship to you. And how we ask, Father, that the Spirit of God would move mightily within our midst and apply this passage to our hearts and grant us understanding that we can see Him in all of His glory and majesty, see His purpose in our lives, his, the significance of Him being here with us in all that He does. Father, we pray that Christ will be magnified this day. You will be honored in our hearts. In ultimately glorified father thank you again for all that you've done for us in christ and sending the spirit of god to us in all his fullness to you be the praise the glory and the honor in jesus name we pray and all of god's children said amen please be seated last week we were looking at This portion in John chapter 14 of Jesus saying to the disciples that it's good that he goes. He's going to depart and because he's departing, they're going to do the works that he does and even greater works because he goes to the Father. He speaks to them about the greater works that we went over last week. The greater works not being the miraculous signs and all of that that he did, but the preaching of the gospel in light of the work that he has accomplished. We talked about that. We talked about about prayer. That whatever we ask in his name, he will grant to us, as John qualifies that in his epistle, that whatever we ask in accordance with his will, he hears us. And so we have that assurance That the things that we pray for that are good and righteous and holy in the sight of God are those things that he grants to believers. We talked a little bit more about prayer, about how we need to pray and we need to pray uh, diligently. We need to not just pray one time over something, but to continually seek after it, especially understanding that this is good in the sight of God. Jesus also made the statement in verse 15 that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That this is an expression of love on the part of believers toward the Lord is to keep his commandments, to do the things that are good and right. And in light of those things, 
that he has just announced to them, that he has said to them, that he has commanded of them, he goes right to the work of the Holy Spirit, which is itself a great significance because it is by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, because of him dwelling with us and empowering us, that we can do the things that he just said. Because prayer is nothing unless we're praying in the Spirit. We cannot obey the commands of the Lord with, uh, and delighting in Him as we do it if, it if the Spirit of God is not in us to work. You can, you can impose moralism on anybody. But to, to impose on, on them the law of God without you know, recognizing the Spirit of God who does the work within someone for them to delight in doing the work of God, you're not accomplishing anything. Our worship is, is grounded in the work of the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit of God who perfects our worship, perfects our prayers, who intercedes on our behalf, who enables us to carry out the things that God has commanded of us. So it is not without significance that he's bringing up the Holy Spirit of God after just announcing these things and commanding these things. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> enables us to do these. The Holy Spirit is the one who... In, in Him, because of Him, we, we perform greater works. And we need to understand something about the Spirit of God and the significance of the Spirit of God coming in the fullness upon every believer. And why it is that Jesus is speaking of Him in the ways that He is. You know, we, we're, we're going to look here in verse 17 in a moment about a statement that Jesus makes about the Holy Spirit abiding with you and being in you. And we, we look at those words there and we automatically run to Pentecost and we say the significance of Pentecost is the Spirit coming to indwell all believers. But what we miss is the significance of Pentecost being the enabling of believers to carry out the things of God, being empowered by the Spirit of God. We have to understand something that Within the Old Testament, the Spirit was very present. He was very active. He was regenerating the hearts of believers. And actually, Jesus speaks of that already. He already spoke of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. He spoke of the necessity of the Spirit of God in worship to the Samaritan woman. He spoke of the Holy Spirit of God as the one who gives spiritual life in John chapter 6. These things were already present and already being accomplished by the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was indwelling believers in the Old Testament time. And we'll look at the significance of Pentecost. Because if we, can, if we can trace this through the scripture to understand the significance of Pentecost. And we can understand the significance perhaps even more so of what Jesus is saying to, to the believers then. Of the greater works and the empowering to carry out the things that he has commanded. So let me bring to your attention a passage of scripture in Numbers Chapter 11. <clears throat> in Numbers chapter 11, we have this scene. <clears throat> which Moses' father-in-law is saying to Moses, you can't judge all these people by yourself. You need help. And so 70 are appointed in order to help Moses judge the people. So we read of, beginning in verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And he took of the spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the 70 elders. 
And when the Spirit rested upon them, notice the language, he took of the Spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. But two of the men had remained in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other, Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are, are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. The very thing that Moses had said, in light of what these two had done in the camp, Joshua comes to him, you need to, you need to silence them, restrain them. And the very words of Moses, are you jealous for my sake? And this is what he says, this is his desire. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. The language here is upon them, upon the 70 elders, upon all the people of God. And you see that in the Old Testament, the significance of the working of the Holy Spirit of God, specifically in the Old Testament, was that the Spirit of God would come upon people. When you read of the judges, or you read of prophets, or you read of the kings, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and, and they would lead the people in, in you know, being delivered from the enemy or whatever, like Othniel and in, uh, in Gideon and these men, the Holy Spirit came upon them in a mighty way. And you see that as you work your way continually through the Old Testament, that there is then a prophecy in the book of Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, we read this. It will come about after this. That I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is the very thing that is repeated and on the day of Pentecost that Peter says, this is the fulfillment of that. And so when you look then at the significance of Pentecost, it was not that the Spirit of God comes to indwell, but the Spirit of God is coming in the fullness upon all believers to empower them. That's the significance of Pentecost. Is the fulfillment of what Moses had desired all the way back in Numbers chapter 11. The Lord doesn't say, I will put my spirit within. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all. Male, female. That's the, that's the significance here. This, is a, this that happened on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, was a fulfillment of what Moses said and pictured in what happened to the judges and the prophets and some of the kings that was prophesied by Joel, that all believers are empowered by the Spirit of God to carry out the work of ministry. This is a gift that Christ has given to the church. Ministry for all. The scripture tells us that we are kings and priests to our God. That we are a royal priesthood. Our living and our ministering is in light of the exalted 
Christ as the foundation for it all. We're empowered by the Spirit of God. Something that is significantly greater than it was in the Old Testament. So we see the Spirit is at work in the Old Testament, but the fullness of the Spirit doesn't come until Pentecost. But it was not for the purpose of indwelling. He's already doing that because no one can be saved apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. We know that from Scripture. You must be born again. And when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, he's like, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know this. Why? Because it was in the Old Testament. It was already present. It was already occurring. No one can be saved apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. Apart from him, you're dead in your trespasses and sin and are by nature children of wrath. The scripture makes that very clear, indicts everyone under that banner. So in light of the Spirit coming in the fullness is, is the idea when he's talking about the Spirit coming. Not that he wasn't present already. Not that he wasn't at work already. He was already working in the lives of believers. Changing the disposition of their souls. Changing their, their emotions and their wills in order to delight in the Lord their God. That is not done apart from the Spirit of God working in man to do that. Apart from that... Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So the Holy Spirit is all, was already in operation, if you will, in the Old Testament, regenerating the saints, just as He does to the saints on this side of the cross. The difference being is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit of God. It is because of Him and Him coming in the fullness upon all believers that we are all called to be ambassadors for Christ, that we all are to minister, that we're all kings and priests to our God. That we are enabled to keep the commandments of the Lord, that we're delighting in doing so, we're delighting in praying, we're delighting in worship, we're delighting in doing the greater works of spreading the gospel on and on. So what's he referring to? The empowering of the Holy Spirit of God in his fullness coming upon every believer. Now, as far as his identity is concerned, I mean, look at some of the things that Jesus is saying about him here. <clears throat> in light of his departure, in light of his disciples uh, being disheartened and all of that, that he's not going to be there. Here's what he says. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That he will be with you forever. Now this helps us to get an even greater understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, notice one thing is one theologian had pointed out. Jesus did not say that he's going to give the helper as if there's only one. He said, but another. This word another in the Greek is alos. It means one of the same kind. Jesus is going to ask of the Father to send another helper. Some of your translations may say advocate or counselor or comforter or guide or teacher. The word here is paraclete and it really encompasses all those, all those descriptions. There's really no one good word that would describe what it is that he's going to be another helper. In the same way that Christ himself was their paraclete. You notice, actually in 1 John chapter 2, that 
the Lord Jesus is called our advocate. I pray that you do not sin, but if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's the same word, paraclete. Christ was their helper when he was here on earth. Christ was the one who, who was their teacher, was their counselor, was their guide. And he is saying in light of his departure, he's going to go on to say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you another just like me. And he's going to dwell with you forever. And what that, what that implies to us is that the Holy Spirit of God is equal to the Son. Because you can't have one of the same kind if he's lesser than the Son. The Spirit of God is co-equal with the Son. He's co-equal with the Father. He is the one who is coming in his fullness to be Christ's presence on earth after Christ's departure. No longer are you going to have... The, the presence of God in a special way in the temple any longer. No longer are you going to have Jesus walking among men. The presence of Christ is going to be the Holy Spirit of God to every believer. The one who dwells with them forever. And you can see that. You can see uh, when the Spirit comes in the fullness, you can see the same qualities in the disciples that, that were in them when Jesus walked with them. They were very bold. They were very courageous whenever Christ was with them, when they were in his presence. After his arrest, after his crucifixion, they run into hiding. But then on the day of Pentecost, when the spirit comes in the fullness upon them, they stand boldly once again, proclaiming the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. The spirit of God took the place of Christ himself and accomplished all the things that Christ had done in the lives of his disciples. A paraclete means one who's called alongside. That's what the literal meaning means. But again, you have these other words, comforter, teacher, advocate, counselor, helper, guide, on and on, to try to describe what it is. And in secular Greek, it often referred to a legal assistant or an advocate Someone that you would call to come alongside you in, in light of some legal trouble. One who knew you best more so than anyone else. Certainly he's all these things. The Holy Spirit is the one who consoles the disciples. The people of God as a whole. He is the one who is the comforter. He's the comforter in that sense of what we normally think. But actually... The, the KJV, when it uses comforter, is really more influenced by the Latin meaning, which is to strengthen. It isn't as though the Holy Spirit of God comes to wipe your tears after a battle. It's the Holy Spirit of God who is strengthening, strengthening you for the battle. That's what he does. He is Christ's presence again on the earth. Coming alongside the disciples and coming alongside you. The people of God. One theologian described it like this. It's, it's like you have a parent who's out there teaching their, their child how to ride a bike. Without the training wheels. So you're, you're next to your child and you got a hold of the handlebars and you got a hold of the seat. And you're, you're trying to help them along to get the hang of it. You're coming alongside them. And in the same way, it's the Holy Spirit of God coming alongside us that way to enable us to do something that otherwise we couldn't. And this is something 
that the disciples were not only privileged to receive and to experience, but this is what you have received and experienced as well. You think of what Christ had done to the disciples. They, he taught them, he guided them, he strengthened them, he comforted them, he rebuked them, he abided with them, he protected them. Christ delighted in righteousness, he condemned wickedness, all of those things. And those are the very qualities and traits that you see of the Spirit of God in the lives of the disciples after the Lord ascended and in the lives of the disciples, you, in your own life. The one who comes alongside you and is with you forever, he's identified then as the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But actually, Jesus says to the disciples, you know him. And this is where we need to give our attention to. Because Jesus says the disciples did know him. The disciples were very familiar with him. They did understand him. Why? Because they knew Jesus. Jesus says earlier in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is absolutely true of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus could have said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Holy Spirit because they are in agreement in everything. There is no dissension here. There is no disagreement here. There is perfect agreement, perfect unity in everything within the Godhead. And so to know the character and the very nature of Christ and to know the character and the very nature of the Father is to know the very character and nature of the Holy Spirit of God. What does the Holy Spirit delight in? What did Christ delight in? What does the Father delight in? These are the things that we have to wrap our minds around to understand that you do know the Holy Spirit of God. Every time that we open the pages of Scripture and we're learning about Christ or we're learning about the Father in whatever capacity, this is explaining to us the Holy Spirit too, His character and His nature. Are there differences? Yes, there are differences. The Holy Spirit wasn't incarnate and He didn't die for you. The Father wasn't incarnate and He didn't die for you. Only Christ Himself did this. So in the outworking of salvation, there's some differences. But in their ontological being and in their character and their nature and their holiness, it's absolutely the same. No differences. To know Him, to know Christ, is to know Him. And yet he's the one that is often ignored or neglected or not studied all that much. But understand, dear friends, that, that the one who has come alongside you is the very presence of Christ in your life. The one who speaks truth to you in the times in which you need it. That's, that's an amazing thing. The one who comes alongside the paraclete, he's identified as the spirit of truth. You know, Christ was identified as the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the spirit of truth that comes alongside you. What he does is truth. What he speaks is truth. It is not a different truth than Christ. It's not a different truth than the Father. It's the same truth that he speaks to you in your time of need. You know, one thing that the Holy Spirit doesn't do that we often do to each other is especially if we're in some depression or we're in some type of a, a low point or something, we often come alongside each other and speak little nice things in our ears 
you know, to just try to bring us out of it. Whether it's true or not, we don't really pay much attention. As long as it's something that can pull on your heartstring or whatever it is in order to get you to come out of whatever you know, depression or whatever that you're in. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit speaks truth. Truth that comforts you in the time in which you need it. Truth that rebukes you in the time that you need it. Constantly speaking to you truth. Only truth. Truth that is from the very word that he inspired. Not a contrary truth. And that's important to understand. Because, and this can go either way, it's not just in the charismatic wing of the Christian faith. But some people would say that if they receive a word from something else, even if it's in direct contradiction of the scripture, they can say, well, I believe this is what the Lord's telling me. I believe the Lord's leading me to do this, though it's in contradiction of the scripture. That doesn't exist. At all. The Spirit of God does not work independent of the word that he inspired. And that's something about our sanctification. If we want to grow in Christ, you cannot grow in Christ apart from the word of God. Because it's the word of God that the Spirit of God uses to apply to the heart. To give us a greater understanding that we can behold him in all of his glory and all of his honor. Just as we behold Christ by faith. According to the scripture. There's not different truths when it comes to the Lord. When it comes to the working of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see this later, the Holy Spirit doesn't even magnify himself. You know how Christ was on earth and Christ magnified the Father. Everything that he did was to magnify and glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come then and just glorify himself and magnify himself. The Holy Spirit of God magnifies Christ. And glorifies Christ. So everything that he does is in view of that very thing. To glorify Christ. To magnify Christ. Not himself. And that's important because when you talk about the supposed manifestations of the Holy Spirit of God. All it ever does is supposedly bring attention to him. And that's not the way it works. You know it's an amazing thing when you think of the Holy Spirit and what he does. I mean, if you just just take some of the things that we, we understand from Scripture. One, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will glorify Him. Right? That's what He says in I think John chapter 16. The Holy Spirit has inspired the Word of God. He is the one who inspired the writers of Scripture to pen everything that they did. And everything that they are pinning, everything that they're writing... Not just in the Old Testament, but the things that were to come in the New Testament is all pointing to Christ. Everything. In the very life of Christ, as Christ is present on earth and he's performing his miracles, he's performing his miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, what's he doing as the Holy Spirit is, is Christ is working through the Holy Spirit to, to do all these signs and wonders and miracles, what's it doing? It's bringing attention back to Christ, not the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit regenerates the heart of a believer, what happens? We call, across, we call upon Christ in faith. We delight in Christ. Christ is magnified in our hearts because of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. 
everything that the Holy Spirit does is to glorify Christ, to magnify Christ. That is amazing. The one who takes Christ's presence on earth is the one who lifts up the eyes of all his people that he had died for. He fetches them. He he makes them ready for the great day of the marriage supper of the Lamb, that they would delight in him even more. And looking forward to that day, and then they're glorified in him, made ready for the bride, for the for the groom. It's amazing. The one who comes alongside us, the one who speaks the truth of Christ to us. The one who is you, you could almost say this and as as Christ was the exact representation of the nature of the Father. This is also true of the Holy Spirit. The world cannot receive him because it does not see him or know him just as it didn't know Christ. It didn't receive Christ because they're in darkness. But the people of God do know him. They do understand his nature. They do understand his character and his great attributes that are within the scripture because they know Christ. The more that you come to know Christ, the more that you will come to know the Father. And the more that you will come to know the Holy Spirit of God, who is the one who is dwelling with you. The one who is abiding with you. The one who is in you, indwelling you, empowering you. And yet he's the one that is often, like I said, neglected or ignored. But we need to give our attention to him for sure. So he says, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, again, if we're looking at the reality of the spirit of God in the Old Testament, he's indwelling, he's regenerating the hearts, he's bringing spiritual life to them. He's he's interceding on their behalf when it comes to worship. So what does this mean? Will be in you. There is a greater understanding of the spirit of God on this side of Christ's exaltation. Here's what. Sinclair Ferguson says. It's a little lengthy, but just listen as closely as you can here. Prior to the glorification of Jesus, the spirit was both present and known. You know him for he lives with you. The statement must therefore carry economic, not ontological significance. What John means may be like this. Until the exaltation of Christ, the Spirit of God cannot be received in His specific economic, that means the working identity, as the Spirit of the ascended Christ. By means of Christ's exaltation, for which John seems to include His victorious death, He would be. A further nuance of this same teaching is found in John 14, 17, when Jesus says that the Spirit of truth is with the disciples and later will be in them. What is in view is not so much a distinction between the spirit being only with believers in the old covenant while he dwells in them in the new covenant. Although rather, excuse me, in the new covenant, rather, it is that during the days of his humiliation, the spirit of Christ was on Christ and therefore in this sense with the disciples. But at the exaltation, Christ would breathe his spirit on his disciples. He would now indwell them in his identity As the spirit of the exalted Savior, he who was with them in Christ's presence would be in them as the spirit of the incarnate and exalted Christ. 
The contrast is located not in the manner of his indwelling, so much as the capacity in which he indwells. The giving of the Spirit thus announces the divine exaltation of Christ to the right hand of the Father. It is the public expression of his coronation, all that is portrayed in the events of the upper room. So what Jesus is referring to is not some difference in his indwelling in the old or being with them in the old and then indwelling in the new. It's rather his, the, the fullness of his identification now being sent to the believers as now the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the ascended Christ. There's a fuller experience of the believer and a fuller knowledge of the believer because of the Holy Spirit of God after Christ's ascension. It's the same thing as we talk about the Father. You have the saints that are in the Old Testament. Was, was God the Father the Father to them? Yes, He was. Was it said that He was the Father to them? No. Was Christ the Redeemer of all those in the Old Testament? Yes, He was. Was it said that Jesus was the Redeemer of all those in the Old Testament? No, not at the time. It's the same thing when the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit, the, the fullest understanding and experience of the, of the believer in the Holy Spirit is not until after the exaltation of Christ. And so being in them is a continual being in them, but in them in view of his now identity as the Spirit of Christ. That's the difference. It's not that if he, he wasn't indwelling before and he came to indwell now, but he's now indwelling as the Spirit of the ascended, exalted Christ. To where now Paul refers to him as the Spirit of Christ. That's the difference in the working of the Holy Spirit being to the fullest as it wasn't in the Old Testament. A greater knowledge that is expressed as a result of Christ's finished work as, the, as, as it wasn't in the Old Testament. You know him, he says, he abides with you will be in you. There's a continual being in you. And he even says thereafter, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is also implying that the spirit coming is taking the presence of Christ. Christ says he's coming back to them, but he's coming back to them in the fullness of the spirit of God. And you see the love and the care of Christ that he has for the disciples. They're disheartened that he's leaving, but he's saying to them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as those who are abandoned. One writer actually said that the Holy Spirit is the divine homemaker because of the Holy Spirit coming in the fullness upon all believers, regenerating the hearts of believers. Everything that he does, he is making the abode for the father and the son. And Jesus actually says that. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. And this is what the Holy Spirit does because of the perfect unity that they have. When the Holy Spirit comes to us believers, the Father and the Son are making their abode with us as well. And there is never a time then that you are left alone. Would you be comforted if you were alone and you were going through some difficult times? Would you be comforted if Christ's presence was physically there? Yes, you would. But you need to understand the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit that is there in the fullness, just as if Christ was there physically. But we don't see that. We don't think of that. There's the promise that is here. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. 
So in the time of your darkest hour, in the time in which the disciples are going to experience some very painful times, torturous times, times of abandonment by everybody else, at no point were they ever left alone because Jesus had promised them, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And he came to them in the fullness by the Holy Spirit of God. And this is not just true of them, dear friends. It's true of you. This is true of you. In your darkest hour, you're not alone. The spirit of truth has come alongside you. The spirit of truth is the one bringing back to your remembrance the things that you have learned in the scriptures to lift up the countenance of the people of God. To encourage your heart and to strengthen you as, as the comforter does. To help you endure. To remind you of the love that has been demonstrated to you through Christ and his redemptive work. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forsaken. But you have the Holy Spirit of God with you who is Christ's presence on earth. And as John Knox had said, one man, one man with God is in the majority. It doesn't matter who else is against you. One man with God is in the majority. And this is, this is Christ's great care and love that he has for his disciples to send the Holy Spirit in his fullness as his presence now upon his completed work. To teach, to guide, to strengthen. All the things that he accomplished while he was here. It is an amazing thing to consider the blessings that the people of God have that we don't often think of. Or we don't often consider. You were some of the most blessed people that walked the earth because of the Spirit of God who dwells with you. People who are in darkness, when they are alone and they're abandoned, they're actually alone and abandoned. But not you. Never are you because the love of God has been poured out through the work of Christ and because he has ascended on high and he has given gifts to his church the main gift that he has given to his church is the Holy Spirit of God Jesus says how much more will your father in heaven give you what is good or give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him speaking of in their time of their need and MacArthur went on to say you ask for truth he's giving you he's giving you the truth teacher you ask for comfort, He's giving you the comforter. You ask for strength, He's giving you the spirit of power. You ask for the gift, He's giving you the giver. You've asked for the product, God has given you the source. He has given you everything in the Holy Spirit of God who dwells with you. Everything that you need. Everything that you need for peace and joy in your life is found in the Holy Spirit of God who is given to you, who is Christ's presence on earth, the one who consoles you, loves you, strengthens you, sanctifies you. It's an amazing thing to consider what we have in Christ as a result of the Spirit of God within us, empowering us, delighting in us, abiding with us. What love that our Lord has for us to give us such a gift. Here's other things that he does. 
After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. They will see him, observe him, because of the Spirit of God, bringing back these things to their remembrance of all that Christ said and did. As we behold the glory of Christ in the Scriptures, the Spirit of God applying that to our heart, we, we can see Christ with eyes of faith. It's an amazing thing to consider, and Peter even brings this up in 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you haven't seen Him, you love Him. How can you love someone that you've never seen? Because the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who has awakened us to the glories of Christ. And who applies His word to our hearts that we can see Him with eyes of faith. And to delight in everything that He is and everything that He does. This is what the, the Spirit of God does as well. That we may see the glory of Christ and honor Him and love Him. That's, in, that's Him enabling us to do so. William Hendrickson writes, For the Spirit from Pentecost on will bring Christ's teaching concerning Himself home to the hearts of these men and their followers, so that what the Lord from heaven is doing on earth day by day will pass in review before their eyes. Spirit of God is the one who brings to light everything that Christ is and does. Everything that He's doing in heaven. It's an amazing thing to consider. And this occurred, the fullness of the things that Jesus is speaking of, occurred on that day, as He says in verse 20, which is referencing the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit comes in His fullness upon all believers after the ascended, Christ has been exalted. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. That mutual abiding, that mutual dwelling with each other. They will know it to the fullest once the Spirit of God comes. They will understand to a greater degree what Jesus is speaking about. The union between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will be a greater understanding. And actually an even greater understanding then as well of the unity that not only does the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have within the Godhead itself, but that God has with His people. A greater understanding of the unity that we have in Him. A unity that is, a unity that grows, a union that grows as the Spirit of God works within our hearts. You know, if you just begin to think about, because the Holy Spirit of God dwells with us and is constantly with us, and the Holy Spirit is constantly united to the Father and the Son, that's how we can have unity with the Father and the Son, have that fellowship and union with the Father and the Son, because of the Holy Spirit. He is constantly united to the Father and the Son. Always. And because He dwells with us, in us, we are always united to them as well. And our unity with the Spirit of God is one that grows, that we have the privilege of growing in. We can see that within our own lives of where we started out in the Christian faith and where we're at now. The continual growth that the Spirit of God has accomplished in us, growing us in sanctification. As we become more alive to the Spirit and more dead to the flesh. 
James Montgomery Boyce writes, If we think of the Holy Spirit as a mysterious power, our thought will continually be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? Sadly, that's where a lot of the charismatic wing dwells. If we think of the Holy Spirit as a person, our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? The first thought is entirely pagan. The second is New Testament Christianity. It's not about how we can have more of the Spirit of God to tap into. It's about growing in the Spirit of God that He has more of us. And we see that again within the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God that He continually does while we're here on earth. Shaping us, molding us to be all that God delights in. Until the consummation of all things. And at the consummation of all things, how we will be glorified in Christ as a result of His completed work in us. There is a consistent working of the Spirit of God within us. And as that work is continually being done, we become more dead to ourselves. And this is where we have a lot of examining to do because if we're not becoming more dead to ourselves and we are increasing in degree as far as the love of the world that we have, then we need to go back and figure out whether or not we truly have saving faith. Because this is God who dwells in you. And we think for some reason that God is going to be hindered by anything that we are doing. He accomplishes everything that He sets out to do and nothing can hinder it, hinder His power he will accomplish all. So, dear friends, there's much more to speak of, of course, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does uh, within the rest of these chapters here. But we're just getting a little taste of some of these things. A little taste of, of the blessing that we have received by having Him. By Him delighting to be with us. Delighting to change us. Delighting to sanctify us. I mean, He's making us ready for the great day. And He delights in doing so that Christ would be honored and glorified. It's amazing to think of how the Son glorifies the Father and then the Spirit of God is glorifying Christ. And it shows what mutual love exists among the Godhead. A love that we're privileged to then have extended to us because of Christ and His finished work and because of the Spirit of God fetching us for the bridegroom. It's amazing. It is truly amazing. To understand this. That first off. That when we think of what we have today. Compared to what they had under the old covenant. You have it so much better. You have a fuller revelation of Christ. You have a fuller revelation of the father. And the spirit of God who dwells with you. Fuller understanding of his completed work. And what it was he set out to do. In accomplishing redemption for you. You have the privilege of being empowered by the Spirit of God in order to carry out the work of ministry. Everybody is empowered to do that. That's why, the, that's why Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians and also in Romans. And you can look to 1 Peter of the gifts of the Spirit of God that he has gifted every believer for the work of ministry in some capacity. You've been gifted by him to edify the body. And so you matter. Your gift matters. You are to use it in order to glorify Christ and edifying the body of Christ. So your purpose is indeed 
important. So you're empowered by Him. You have a fuller revelation of Him. You have someone that will never leave you who is consistently working in your heart to help you, to console you, to guide you, to teach you, on and on and on. And that's the Spirit of God who is constantly with you. Never are you alone. Never are you forsaken. That is an amazing reality. Not just an amazing thought or an amazing idea. It's an amazing reality of the Christian life. Though there's so much more to say, of course, but let us delight in these things and praise our Lord for it and, and glorify His name. What love that He has extended to us by the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Gracious God and our Father, again we thank You so much for all that You have done for us in sending Christ to accomplish redemption on our behalf and sending the Holy Spirit of God to be Christ's presence on earth that through Him we may have a fuller understanding of, of Christ, a fuller experience of the Christian life because He has empowered us in the ways that He has. Father, thank You so much that He is indeed our advocate. He is our intercessor. He perfects our prayers. He perfects our worship. And He constantly glorifies Christ in our hearts. Thank You so much for His continued presence with us. May He continually uh, grow, grow us to be all that You desire. That our hearts will praise You even, even more so to a higher degree. That our prayers will be even more fervent to, and consistent. Pray that He does a mighty work in all of us. Father, thank You again for this portion of Your Word. And how we look forward to the rest of these wonderful teachings of the Spirit of God. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen.